heart of my heart, whatever befall, still be my vision, O ruler of all. Let's take God's word together and turn again to that Old Testament book of 1 Kings. I believe God gave me this word for you this morning, for us, and I'm quite convinced of it. The Lord directed my attention to it. Many years ago, I heard a dear friend preach from this text, and I've never forgotten it, and uh, the Lord used that sermon, the memory of that sermon, to bring me back to it, especially in the certain, the particular situation we were in as a church family. And uh, let's be honest, sometimes life gets very difficult, doesn't it? It gets overwhelmingly hard. And 1 Kings chapter 19 is a story, it's the account of how things got very difficult for Elijah, the prophet of God. 1 Kings 19 really is a transition chapter in the life of the prophet. Life has drastically and dramatically changed for this man. I wonder... Have you ever gone through such an experience where your life has just taken a sudden turn that you were not expecting, you were not planning for? Everything changed drastically and dramatically. And the change in Elijah's life appeared to be a bad one. Now it wasn't, but it felt bad. It looked bad, it felt bad, in his opinion it was bad. In fact, it was so bad he wanted to die. You ever been there before? Have you ever been in a situation in your life where things turned so dr- dramatically that you didn't expect it, you could have never planned for it, and because it was so drastic, in your own opinion, you thought it was better actually if you were dead? That's where Elijah is in this story. It's interesting because this moment has come right after a great mountaintop experience or right after a great public victory. That's often the way it is, isn't it? Sometimes, right after you have had some great victory with the Lord, some spiritual mountaintop experience, publicly even, people recognizing, wow, God is at work in your life and and the hand of God is upon you. Oftentimes, right after that comes this crashing blow that makes you despair of life. And this is where we find Elijah today. He's on a journey. The truth is, all of us today are on a journey. And that journey started the day you were born. Nobody's journey, let's be honest, no one's journey ever goes according to plan. Well, at least not according to your plan. No one's journey ever goes the way you think it's going to go. Let's just take a little survey. How many of you today are where you are now. How many of you thought this is where you'd be 10 years ago? Anybody think this is where you'd be 10 years ago? Well, Trevor didn't, but besides Trevor, the rest of us had no idea that we'd be here, didn't plan for this, never thought our lives would end up like this. We'd end up where we are today. Our journey never goes the way we think it'll go. And sometimes when your journey takes an unexpected turn, When you end up somewhere that you didn't expect to be, we are reminded of one phrase in this text, which is is the subject of our sermon this morning. Verse number 7, look at it. The angel of the Lord came the second time, touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for thee. The journey is too great for thee. 
Now, I don't always do this. I'm going to make you uncomfortable. But let's say that together. Would you say that with me? The journey is too great for thee. One more time. The journey is too great for thee. Now, here's the lesson we've got to learn. And it's a lesson we have to learn over and over again. This journey of life is too much for you. It's too hard. Life is too hard for you by yourself. That's a fact. You were not made to live this life alone in your own strength. You can't do it. You cannot live life in your own strength, in your own power. That's why so many people today don't want to live anymore. That's why suicide is at a higher rate than ever before because people are understanding they can't do it. You were not created to live this life alone. You were created to walk this journey in the strength of God, not in your own strength. And it's only when our, when our life takes a detour that we're made to recognize, hold on a moment, I can't do this. This is too hard. Elijah was running. I mean, he was more than running. He was flying. I mean, this man was miraculously, supernaturally running. Things were happening in his life. He called down fire from heaven in the previous chapter. You remember that? There he was on the mountaintop and 850 false prophets. 450 prophets of Baal, 400 prophets of the grove. And, and Elijah, he, he says, you call on your God, you call on Baal, and whoever's God bring, brings down the fire, we'll worship that God. And here are the, those false prophets jumping and cutting themselves and crying out to their God. And Elijah was just laughing. Cry a little louder. I think maybe he's asleep. Send him a little email. Wake him up. He was having a grand old time. Then he calls. He calls. He gets on his knees and calls to God in heaven. The Bible tells us an amazing story in, in the 18th chapter. Let me, read the, let me read the prayer. He cries in verse number 36. He came, it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel that I am thy servant, and that I have done all these things at thy word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me that this people may know that thou art the Lord God, and that thou hast turned their heart back again. And then the fire of the Lord fell. Can you imagine being there that day? A simple prayer. The fire of the Lord fell, consumed the burnt sacrifice, the wood, the stones, the dust, licked up the water that was in the trench. Can you believe that? When everybody saw it, you know what they did? They fell on their face. The Lord, He is the God. What an amazing experience. Can you imagine doing that? Can you imagine praying like that and literally fire falling from heaven? That's where He was. And not only that, a little while later, a few hours later, He calls down fire from heaven, then He calls down rain from heaven. If you remember, there'd been a drought. It hadn't been rain for a long time. And then He prays and it rains. I mean, the man was flying spiritually. And then not only that, the Bible says he gets up and runs 18 miles and he outruns Ahab who's riding in a chariot with horses. You ever seen that before? You ever seen a man with his own two legs run past a horse with ch horses with chariots for 18 miles? The man was flying. But then he hit a wall. He hit a brick wall. All of a sudden it changed. All of a sudden it stopped. He was flying, 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 calling down fire, calling down rain, running in the strength of the Lord. And all of a sudden, 
like he slammed into a brick wall. How many of you have ever felt like that before? You ever felt like life was going well? You were moving, running, and then all of a sudden out of nowhere you hit slap into a brick wall. And suddenly, dramatically and drastically it all stopped. That's where he was. Sometimes when we're running in the strength of the Lord, when the hand of the Lord is upon us, that's what verse 46 of chapter 18 says, the hand of the Lord was on Elijah. He girded up his loins and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. Sometimes when we're running in the strength of the Lord, when the hand of the Lord is upon us, that's when we think we're invincible. And really we are. George Whitfield said, I'm invincible until my work on earth is done. Really we are, but sometimes we forget about the fact that the journey is too great for me. I'm not doing this in my own strength. I couldn't do this myself. And sometimes it's the detours of life that God sends to remind us how much we need Him. Sometimes God has to put the brakes on so that you remember that it ain't you. So that you're reminded you can't do anything by yourself. And that's where Elijah is today. I want you to stop for a moment and look at this text with me. And I want to think about the reality of the journey. Look, this journey is a journey that requires one day at a time. And it's interesting how much can change in one day, isn't it? It's amazing how much your life can change in a day. And in one day, just one day, one day without the hand of God, or at least the apparent hand and presence of God in Elijah's life, brought Elijah to a crashing halt, and he didn't want to live anymore. We're talking about the next day. He was just on the mountaintop calling down fire, calling down rain, running 18 miles in front of the chariots, and then the next day he wants to die. I've been there. I've been there. Have you? How quickly things change. It's interesting. The Bible tells us in verse number 4. Well, look at the, look at the beginning of the chapter. Uh, Jezebel. Ah, that, that name gives shivers down my spine. Jezebel. Now Ahab is like a big baby. He goes home and tells Jezebel what Elijah did to his prophets. Ahab, verse number one, tells Jezebel all that Elijah had done and with all how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. And Jezebel, we know, we know who wore the britches in that family, Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah saying, So let the gods do to me and more also if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow this time. I'm going to kill you. Now, obviously, this woman had some sort of evil power and hold that this woman would be able to strike such fear in, heart, in the heart of Elijah. And when he saw it, when Elijah saw it, he arose and he went for his life. Started running for his life. It's amazing how quickly things can change. How you can be on the mountaintop in the presence and power of God and the very next day be running for your life. Running for your life. Frightened. Full of power and authority one day, running the next day. And not only that, but the Bible says, he, when he saw that he rose, went for his life, came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, left his servant there, but he himself went a day's journey. He was all alone. The truth of the matter is, when you are alone is when the journey gets really hard. Now, you can be in a tent like this full of people and still feel very alone. You can live in a house full of people and still feel very alone. And when you're alone is oftentimes when the journey becomes so unbearable, when you can't imagine taking another step forward, and you, like Elijah, come to verse number four, you come to the place, he himself went a day's journey, just went a day into the wilderness, came and sat down under a juniper tree, and he requested for himself that he might die, and he said, it is 
enough. The reality of the journey is this. It's too hard. Too hard. Have you ever felt like Elijah so burdened, so broken, so overwhelmed, so, so smothered that you sit down like Elijah and you scream out, enough. You ever been there? That's where he is. And can I just say, it's not a bad thing to be there. In fact, I believe it's ordained of God that each one of us hit those seasons. Look at a couple of things I think that are necessary in this journey of life that are very important that we hit these these times. These times are not bad times. The times when you feel like, I I can't live like this anymore. Let me grab that spider. Those times when, when you feel like, I can't do this anymore. That's a good time. When you feel so overwhelmed and so burdened, that's a good time. You just got to make sure you go to the right place. And look what he does. The Bible says he came and sat down. Sometimes, look here. Are you listening? Sometimes God just wants you to stop. Stop it. Stop running. Stop planning. Stop trying to figure it all out. Stop trying to map out your whole life and destination. Just stop it. and Sit down. I hate detours. I really despise them. I sit out on the road. I know where I'm going, and I want to get there quicker than what the sat-nav tells me. I hate detours. I like to believe that when the sat-nav tells me it's going to be an hour and 15 minutes, that I'm going to get there in an hour and five minutes. I like to believe that. I do not like when the hour and 15 minutes becomes two hours and 15 minutes. That's what happened on Wednesday night. I hate it. I've got things to do, places to be, people to talk to. I don't have time to sit in my car and be redirected. You ever felt like that? Oh, I could eat the steering wheel. And that's what happened to me. Four times my sat nav, I wanted to take my phone and chuck it out the window. I ended up having to go all the way back to Oxford and follow the sign that says, detour this way. Should have done that to begin with, I suppose. But I don't like it. Sometimes God takes you spiritually on a detour. And we don't like it. But it's from God. And you can kick against it all you want to. You can keep trying to follow your sat-nav. Or you can stop and follow the signs that he has posted. Follow his will. Sit down. I did a quick little, uh, little search this morning. Exodus 14 verse 13. God said, stand still. And see the salvation of the Lord. Numbers 9 verse 8 says, Stand still and hear the word of the Lord. Joshua 3 verse 8 says, Stand still in the Jordan, in the river, in the middle of the, uh, the, middle of the wave. Stand still in the problem. 1 Samuel 9 27, Stand still a while that I may show thee. I really hate it when traffic comes to a stop, don't you? And you're sitting there doing nothing. Stand still a while. 1 Samuel 12, verse 7. Stand still that I may reason with you. Job 37, 14. Stand still and consider. There's a command to just stop. Every once in a while, stop, stand still, or sit down. Now, sometimes God brings us into these difficulties to make us stop. Do you know that? 
Because you're going on your plan. And you're going down your road, your direction. You've mapped it out yourself. We're running so fast. Sometimes we run so fast that we don't even think about God. And that's when God has to make us stop. But look what else. He came and he sat down under a juniper tree and he requested for himself that he might die. He said, it's enough. I wonder this morning, when are you and I going to realize that we cannot do this alone? I believe God is constantly trying to take us to the place where we realize this is, enough is enough. I believe God is constantly trying to direct our paths so that we get to the place where we hold up our hands and surrender and say, God, I quit. I quit. I quit trying to do it myself. I quit trying to make it my own way. I quit trying to run in my own strength. I'm waving the white flag of surrender. I quit. That's what God wants. It's enough. It's a good day in the life of a believer when they finally sit down, finally throw up their hands and surrender and say, okay, okay, I surrender. No, I, I wasn't built like that. I wasn't built to surrender. I don't know about you. I wasn't built to give in. There's something inside of me that just hates quitting, that hates giving in. Even, even growing up, I had a brother that was two years older than me. We'd box and wrestle. I'd never give in. He'd choke me until I passed out. I would never give in. That's just the way I'm built. But sometimes God puts us in a chokehold and says, quit. Stop it. Stop it. Surrender. He went on to say, take my life away. It's interesting. You find that expression really three times in this text. Verse 3, he went for his life. And verse 4, he sat down under a juniper tree. He requested for himself that he might die. He said, it's enough now, O Lord, take away my life. I don't want to live anymore. Have you ever been there? I think most of us have been there. Most of us have been there. I'm not saying that you're thinking about ending your life, but you just don't want to live anymore. You just don't have the energy or the strength, and you, you just don't, it doesn't look like things are ever going to get any better, and it would be better. Sometimes you even pray. I prayed sometimes, Lord, I'd rather just die. I'd rather you just take me home. And that's where Elijah was. Take away my life. Now, most people reach this point sometime in their life, but very few people make the right decision when they're at that point. Most of us, probably all of us, if you've lived for any length of time, you've come to the place where you don't want to live anymore. You've hit a low spot, you've been in a valley, things have gotten so dark, so difficult, so oppressive, so overwhelming, that you just thought in your own mind it would be better if you were never born, it would be better if you weren't living anymore, it would be better to go ahead and die. Most of us have been there before, but very few of us respond this, the right way when we get there. It is enough now, O oh Lord, take away my life, I don't want to live anymore. Now this is why there are so many suicides today. Because the journey is really too great. It's really too hard. You can't do it alone. And God never intended for you to run it by yourself in your own strength. He wants you to stop, to sit down, to surrender your life. And you are right. Your life needs to be taken away, but not the way you think. Your life needs to be surrendered to God. Take away my life. You're right. You need to surrender your life to Him. You need to wave the white flag and say, I'm finished. Like, like the Apostle Paul, you need to be able to say, I've been bought with a price. My life is not my own. That's where you need to go. Now, that's the reality of the journey. 
But let me talk about the rest in the journey. Because if you're not careful, we stop there and say, yeah, well, that's, true. that's the reality. Life is hard. Now, the world sometimes, here's how the world says it. Life's hard, get over it. Life's hard, figure out a way to make it a little bit more bearable. Take up drinking. That'll help you. No, it won't. Uh, try, try this, relationships, and try a different job, and a different car, and all these opportunities and ways to try to make your life better. Wrong. There is rest in the journey, but it's found in one place. It's only when you stop and surrender your life to God completely. It's only when you get to the point when you don't want to live anymore, and you give Him your life and say, God, take my life, take away this life, give me a different one. Only then do you find rest. And the Bible says there in our text, only when he stopped, only when he gave, said, I don't want to live anymore, only then did he lay and sleep. It's an amazing thought. And the Bible says, as he lay and slept under a juniper tree, behold, then an angel touched him. Now think for just a second. There is no touch of the supernatural until you learn to stop and rest. There is no touch from above. There is, God will not refresh you if you continue in your own strength. God will not touch you if you continue in your own strength. He'll let you go until you fizzle out. But if you stop, fizzled, frazzled, whatever it may be, and you say, God, enough is enough, and rest, then he can touch you. Matthew 11, verse 28, the Lord Jesus said, we know this, and love it, come unto me. All ye that labor and are heavy laden, all you who are running and running and working and carrying the heavy burden, come to me and I will give you rest. Come and stop at me. Do you know the one place you need to stop? Jesus. Jesus. And I'm telling you, until you do that, you will forever hate life. You're never going to get out of the funk you're in. Never going to get out of the little, little pit of despair you're in until you stop at the foot of the cross. Come to me, all who, are, who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest for your souls. That's what you need. Stop. Sleep. Rest in the presence of Christ. Oh, I love what the psalmist says in Psalm 127, verse number 2. It's vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows. For so he giveth his beloved sleep. Do you hear that? God gives his beloved sleep. He gives you rest. But he's not going to give you rest as long as you keep going on in your own strength. Psalm chapter 3, verse number 5. I laid me down and slept. I awake, for the Lord sustained me. Psalm chapter 4, verse number 8. I will both lay me down in peace and sleep, for thou, Lord, only makest me to dwell in safety. Only God. Only God. If you try to find rest for your soul anywhere else, you are going to come up just as broken and empty as you were before, even worse. Elijah found rest. Look what it says. He slept. He lay down and slept. The angel touched him, said, Arise and eat. Now, I love this because there is not just rest in the journey, but there's nourishment in the journey. Let God feed your soul. You've been feeding your own soul. You've been trying so many things to satisfy your own longings. You've been trying to fill that hunger and that gap inside, and it ain't working. You're just as hungry and empty as ever. 
sleep, rest in Jesus, let him feed you. And I love this, look, look, the Bible says there was a cake, bacon on the coals, literally fresh food. His word is fresh. He feeds us with fresh manna. Give us this day our daily bread. You ain't eating yesterday's moldy bread. We have this perpetual problem in our house. We buy 27 loaves of bread to feed our family. And uh, eventually, we, we sometimes forget about a loaf or two. It ends up at the back of the cupboard. And by the time we get to it, we find it. It's covered with that green stuff. Enough penicillin on it to heal the whole hospital. And we recognize uh, that's not fresh. Put it in the bin. Give it to the birds. God doesn't give you moldy bread. God didn't feed you with something that's gone green. He gives you fresh manna every day. If you would just take it, read it, open it. Fresh food. God takes care of his children, doesn't he? Fathers and mothers, think about it. Uh, would you ever try to let your children go without eating? Of course you wouldn't. Would you ever let your children go without having a few meals? Of course you wouldn't. You think God would let you go without feeding you? The problem's not with God feeding you. The problem is with you eating. I love this little psalm. Psalm 37 and verse number 25. The psalm, one of my favorite psalms. Uh, but he says, the psalmist says, David says in verse 25, I have been young and now I am old, yet I have not seen, I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. Amen. He provides. But you've got to stop and take it. Now, look, that cake was baking under the juniper tree. If Elijah didn't stop and rest, he wouldn't get it. God has for you fresh food every day. You've got to stop, rest, and eat it. Eat it. And not only that, but the Bible says there was a cruise of water at his head. This is such a beautiful picture. I don't believe anything in God's word is written by chance. Do you? Always a reason. What do you mean there's a cruise of water by his head? Meaning he didn't have to go far, did he? No, it's right by his head. The Lord is not playing games with you. He's not playing hide and seek. He's not hiding things and, and uh, sending you on a wild goose chase. He gives you food for your soul and he gives you refreshing. Right by your head. Right near to you. He's not an unkind God. He's a loving God. Refreshment for your soul. Psalm 42, I love it. As the heart panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? I can't help but think about that beautiful story of, of Ruth and Boaz. Do you remember the story? Ruth's husband had passed, and she'd gone on with her mother-in-law, Naomi. And there there were two widows together, and and uh, didn't have anything and in those days. I mean, it was it was there was no government systems. There was a law that uh, those who were on the bottom echelon of society could go in the fields and pick up any grain that had been dropped. And Boaz, a picture of our Savior, our kinsman redeemer, Boaz tells his servants, "Don't just don't just let them pick up the little bits of grain that fall. I want you to take out scoops from your own bag." handfuls of purpose and leave them so that they can go and not collect just little little bits but have whole piles intentional little piles left that's the way God is for us God's not left little scraps for you he's left whole piles on purpose for you go get it just look 
What a loving Father. What a loving God. And the Bible says in our text that the angel came a second time. One last little thought. I love this. I love this more than anything. More than, more than the cake that was baked on the coals and more than the cruise of water by the head and more than the handfuls of purpose. I love this. God sent an angel, a messenger. Elijah was lonely, all alone. And God sent him an angel. Can you imagine being all alone on your journey? hating life, wanting to die, feeling like you're the only one trying to do what's right, and now you're being persecuted, you're going to be killed for it, and you didn't even want to live anymore, and God is so kind that he sends an angel. Isn't that amazing? But do you know, amazing as that is, we have something better? If you're a born-again child of God, you don't just have an angel, you've got the Son of God living with you. God didn't just send an angel to you, he sent Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. Jesus Christ, the hope of glory, Christ in you. You don't just have an angel eating breakfast with you in the morning. You've got Jesus Christ. You're not alone. Though the whole world forsake you, you are not alone. Though everybody turn their back on you, though you feel like you're alone, Jesus Christ is with you, never to leave you nor to forsake you, no matter who leaves you. The angel made cake and water. I can't help but think about, I can't help think about that first breakfast. We talk about the last supper. But what about the first breakfast? The last supper, the night before Jesus was, was betrayed and crucified. But what about after the day after Jesus rose from the grave, that first breakfast? You remember that? Disciples were on the boat fishing in Galilee, and, and they looked and they thought, there's Jesus, and they Simon. They leapt, leapt out of the boat naked, the scripture said, and swam to shore. And there was Jesus on the shore cooking breakfast. What a beautiful thought. Would you look here? Jesus Christ, if you have been born again, lives inside of you. He will never leave you. And he wants to cook you breakfast every morning. And it's better than a full English. <laughs> he wants to give you fresh food. Fresh revelation, fresh directions for your journey in the morning. He wants to lead you. He wants to guide you. He wants to comfort you. He wants to help you. He's, he's there to whisper in your ear, I'm not going to leave you. I'm right here. Eat, my child. And I can't help but think about that day, the culmination of all things, when we shall sit down with Jesus, all of us together, at the marriage supper of the Lamb. I don't know quite what all that means, but what a beautiful picture. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 3, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him and he with me. You can eat daily with Jesus Christ. Amazing. A journey, just about any journey, no matter how difficult it is, is made easier with the company you keep, isn't it? I've been on some rough journeys before. I spent some time in Panama and Instead of flying across Panama, we took a rickety old Jeep that had no springs or, or any sort of shock absorbance left in it for, I think it was an eight-hour drive. And I couldn't sit for a week after that. And it was a rough journey, but you know, it was okay because I had good company. I've had some bad meals before, haven't you? I've had some bad meals before, but it was okay because the people I was with didn't really care about the food. It was the fellowship. And that's the way it is on this journey of life. When you are a child of God, born again, 
You've got good company. The Lord is with you. Don't you forget that. It's easy to say, like Elijah, I'm the only one serving you, God. Hold on a moment. You've got an angel right next to your side. You're not the only one. Jesus Christ in you, the hope of glory, is with you. And the Bible says, watch this in closing. The angel of the Lord came the second time, verse 7, touched him, said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for thee. And he arose, he did eat and drink, and watch this. He went in the strength of that meat, a little bit of cake, a bit of water, and in the strength of that meat, he went for 40 days and 40 nights without needing to eat or drink again. Do you know what we are? We like sugar. We're like children. My children, if I'd let them, would eat Haribo's for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. But it doesn't work, does it? My grandfather used to fuss at me because in the morning I'd, I'd like to have the sweetest cereal I could get, Cho- anything chocolate. Or, and if I, had, if I had Rice Krispies or Corn Flakes, I'd put about 12 scoops of sugar on top. And he said, that's not going to last you. You need something that's going to stick to your belly, stick to your ribs. You ever hear that before? Something that'll last you through the day. Oats or something substantial. Well, we, we, we are like children. We like sweet stuff that tastes good and lasts for a moment. But the Lord, when he feeds you, gives you something that keeps and sustains you. I can remember there. I can look back at my own Christian life and, and I can think of particular passages that God gave me that fed me for a long time. I, I feasted on John chapter 12, verse 24 and 25 for years. I went in the strength of that meat for a long time. I feasted on Psalm chapter 34. For a long time, God fed me that. I went in the strength of that meat for a while. When God feeds you, when you get a message from God, when you get a meal from God, you can go in that strength for quite some time. I can remember when I first got saved, God gave me Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. And I feasted on that. I went in the strength of that verse for a long time. You know, if we would stop trying to feed ourselves and start letting him feed us, we could go in the strength of that meat 40 days and 40 nights. An interesting observation. There are only three men in the Bible that didn't eat for 40 days and 40 nights. Jesus, Moses, and Elijah. All three of them were on the Mount of Transfiguration together. Amazing, isn't it? God wants us to learn how to go in the strength of His might, not yours. Because the journey is too great for you. And if you don't learn this lesson soon, and keep learning over and over and over. By the way, 40 days and 40 nights, we're going to run out, and Elijah's going to have to stop again and get fed by God again. It's a lesson we've got to learn over and over. This journey is too much for you. Let him feed you. Rest. Let him feed you, and then run. Fly. Wouldn't you like to fly? Wouldn't you like to call down fire from heaven, rain from heaven, run 18 miles past all the cars on the motorway? I'd like to do that. Then I wouldn't have to go on a detour anymore, would I? I could run through it all. I'd like to do that. But I can't do that if I'm not stopping regularly, resting regularly, eating from the hand of God regularly. Then I can go in the strength of that meat 40 days and 40 nights. That's what we need. The journey's too great for you. You need him, and he's given you all that you need. May the Lord help us. Let's pray. Father, we give thanks for thy word. We give thanks, Lord, that all that we need, you have provided. You have given us, Lord. Help us to recognize it's time to stop. To stop running in our own strength. Stop trying to figure it out ourselves. Help us to surrender, Lord. To lay down and rest. Help us, Father, to 
know thy touch, the touch of thy spirit. Help us to be fed that fresh manna from above, that daily bread. Help us, Lord, to stoop and drink of the water of life freely, that we might find fountains of living water gushing from our own bellies. Help us, Father, to rise up and run in the strength of that meat. Oh, feed us, Lord. We see it. We feel it. It's too much. The journey is too great for us. So, Lord, help us to eat from thy hand and to run for thy glory. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.